All right, welcome to Wrapping PE. I'm your host, Stephen Buller, aka Beer Drip Buller. As my Instagram and Twitter handles suggest, this is the place where we explore precarity, pedagogy, and physical education. This podcast is dedicated to physical educators of the future, past, and present. Today, we're on episode six. We're going to continue our official podcast journey where I have the pleasure of introducing Larry Schwartz from Ukiah, California. Larry teaches for the Ukiah Unified School District. Their mission and vision statements really caught my eye Um, when I was doing preliminary research. Their mission statement is, we will challenge and inspire our students to value different perspectives and become successful, contributing citizens in an increasingly interdependent world. I loved how succinct that is. And this is their vision statement. We are a dynamic and innovative learning community and our decisions are focused on the interests of our students. We recognize that for many students, our district can and must provide a solid path out of poverty. For all students, our school district must celebrate and cultivate their unique skills and talents. It seems like this is probably going to be the perfect episode to discuss precarity, pedagogy, and physical education. This is the epitome of what I'm looking for to kind of share experiences from other schools and perspectives and the impacts it has on our students, schools, and teachers. Wait for the beat to drop. Here we go. All right, so Larry, uh, which is better? Do you have a preference of dogs or cats? Yeah, um, I think uh, both serve purposes. You know, if I was to choose, being uh, being a pretty active person that I am, um, I'd say uh, you know dogs definitely are high up on the the list. But at the you know same time, cats can be nice uh, lounge lizards as well, where you can kind of just kick back, relax, and you know hang out on your lap depending on the type of dog you have though too. So um, yeah, that's a, that's a tough one. That's a tough one, but I definitely say dogs. So we're still at a hundred percent. There has not been one person that has said cats yet. I'm still <laughs> looking for that. I'm a dog person myself, but nice, nice. <laughs> and then the next question is, I feel like a lot of teachers sway one way or the other. Do you prefer coffee or tea? What's your go-to? Well, coffee in the morning. You know, I'm, I usually get up early because I like to kind of just relax, you know, give myself an, you know, a couple of hours. And usually that time I'm, you know, start off with some water and then I go into coffee and I usually just have my two cups and that's it. And then during the day I might, you know, bring with me a, a thermos full of mint tea with honey. So I kind of toggle back and forth, but you know, I usually generally start my day with coffee. I, I can roll with that. So are we leaning coffee? it's a tough Oof. one i know yeah yeah um i would say yeah just because i do i love the flavor of it. i don't use it i don't I, i'm not a coffee drinker because i need it to stay awake i love i really love the the flavor of coffee and sort of what that's sort of that routine of mine in the morning is really kind of what it is and again i don't generally ever really drink coffee outside of you know the morning hours so um yeah so i'd say coffee for sure and then kind of intersperse with tea occasionally all right. So we're still at a hundred percent for coffee. <laughs> I mean, I love my teas as well, but mm-hmm. uh, the terroir and the interesting flavors of coffee is definitely 
something interesting as well as that morning routine. It just wouldn't mm. feel the same with tea. No, no, no. It just wouldn't. You're right. You're right. All right. This one might be easier for you. Uh, what is your all-time favorite physical activity, sport, or anything of the sort? Oh, man. So I'm a track and field guy. Um, you know, I definitely like uh, because track and field is so robust in terms of the diversity that it, that it offers, um, you know, having been a competitive distance runner and a triathlete, um, in my, in my heydays, you know, I, I, I played tennis in high school and I was, uh, I doubt you'll probably ever have a, a guest on your podcast. That's ever been a competitive roller skater. I uh, did a competitive that roller skater, but we had somebody that did a roller derby. Yeah, well, there's competitiveness in that. I mean, I'm talking the artistic side of roller skating, just like oh. uh, like they do on ice skates. But I did that on roller skates. That so, sounds you know, very interesting. Yeah, I, did not so, know that. I actually didn't know that was a thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's uh, it's a dwindling sort of uh, sport, but it's been in my family for you know it's still in my family essentially. But it's you know my my guess my grandparents um, owned and operated a skating rink. All my aunts and uncles were roller skaters as part of that, um, them growing up. And then I kind of fell into it, um, with my grandparents during the summer times coming up to Ukiah, there was a skating rink that closed a few years ago. My aunt and uncle owned that skating rink. Um, and so it was a big part of my identity growing up, you know, especially in high school, cause I competed a lot at the national level, um, uh, in, uh, when I was in high school and kind of it, it fizzled out after high school, a couple of years after high school. But, um, but ultimately I'd, I'd say that, you know, what I love to watch is distance running, middle distance running. You know, I can, I can analyze the mechanics and the efficiency of runners. You know, that's kind of one of my specialties, but it's, uh, I do enjoy that. And I really thoroughly enjoyed watching Ken or um, Elliot Kipchoge breaking the two hour barrier in the marathon. You know, that was a pretty impressive feat. And um, so, yeah, that's that would be my my all time favorite physical activity. And um, and I think it, the, you know, it's 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 funny because I joke about this with, um, you know, with other um, other sports and athletes is, you know, my favorite sport is your sports discipline. You know, it's like running, <laughs> you know, we used to say that all the time. It's like, you know, what are you going to do coach? Are you going to make me play football? Or are you going to make me play basketball? If I get in trouble or don't show up for practice one day, because what are you going to do? Make me run more, <laughs> <laughs> you know? So, yeah. So we would joke about that a lot. So, yeah. So that, that'd be my, my, uh, my all time favorite. I could definitely get on with some of the, field events but running for me is just <laughs> I, I hate running like I just I don't I don't know what it is maybe it's just my body type does not like it I just hate running I, I actually like sprinting I could do okay. sprinting activities like all day I enjoyed doing suicides which sounds dumb but I loved suicides but if you tell me to run like three miles I'm just gonna look at you and be like no like no, I'm not going to do it <laughs> a mile. I'll do a mile, mile and a half, unless running through the woods. I really enjoyed that. Mm, mm. It's like the only running activity that is soothing to me. Like I can't mm. do the macadam. It has to be like, I guess in a way cross country might've been interesting, but there's no way I would have been able to compete 
I'm just too hefty and short. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, there's your, you, you, you really hit on something that I think for me, um, you know, I didn't get into to, to distance running until I was much older. And, um, and so, you know, before that, it was sort of like I did the basketball thing, you know, I was fairly successful in basketball and soccer or not soccer, but, uh, but tennis. Um, I played table, table tennis at a fairly high level as well. And, you know, I was, I was pretty active and then the skating took a big part of my life too. And, um, but I fell into, uh, into distance running cause you know, for me, it was like a matter of, of a health, you know, my, you know, I was, my dad died when I was 14, he was 39, you know, and he was unhealthy and out of shape. And he was a guy who smoked for many, many years. And, you know, I just remember in my early twenties, you know, just waking up one day and kind of taking a look in the mirror and just saying, wow, I got to make a change in my life or I'm going to be, you know, not look past my, my, uh, 39th birthday, you know, or maybe my 29th birthday for that matter. So I got, I fell into distance running, you know, really just by defaults, by kind of a, a method of trying to sort of be in shape. And I really mm-hmm. found a love of, of distance running and, you know, from the cathartic component to it, to the health component to it, to the endorphin component to it. And then the competitive nature it was like, I was constantly trying to improve myself you know, over and over and over again. And it just sort of became sort of this like, man, I, I think I might have something here, you know, personally, you know, and competitively. And so, you know, I was able to compete at a, at a pretty, pretty, you know, not a super duper elite level, but a, you know, a semi competitive elite level. And, um, you know, I did it in, you know, community college and then, um, you know, went on to a four-year college and got injured and never really had another chance, but there was enough for me to do around where I went to, to college to my four-year college at UC Davis that I could still be competitive, you know, at the club and elite, you know, club levels. So, mm-hmm. um, but you know, it's ultimate. And then I realized that I had a, a, a nephew that was, uh, you know, a state champion in cross country and track. And, you know, so clearly there was something in the blood, you know, for yeah. him to, you know, so, which is kind of cool. There's definitely like a lot of play with experience, genetics and circumstance. It's Mm -hmm. really dictates a lot more than what you think until you're older and you start reflecting like, wow, that's actually probably why I went this route. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Right. Right. I'm always reflecting that too. Like why I'm, why I'm where I'm at. Sure. What impacted that, Mm -hmm. which brings us to the next, probably one of my favorite questions. So who are you? What makes you? you oof yeah that's quite a quite the existential question to to really ponder and um you know it's 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 been uh it's been an interesting life um and i still continue to grow and stretch through the creation of you know new experiences and reflecting on old experiences and you know um you know and i can live also through i have an 11 year old daughter who um you know she teaches me you know some pretty crazy stuff every single day um, you know, my students definitely teach me stuff every single day. And I know it seems uh, kind of a cliche statement, but it's, you know, I learn more from them than they probably learn from me, you know. So I, I, I look at myself as a, you know, definitely a uh, somebody who is just constantly learning. You know, I feel like I have a growth mindset. You know, there's obviously certain things that I feel very, um, confident about but at the same time i'm not i'm not closing myself off to what other people might think or say 
Um, you know, but at the same time, there's, you know, you can't deny certain things. Um, and that being, you know, research and facts, but, you know, having my own opinion. So, you know, I, I think through my life, you know, experiences and, you know, having, uh, you know, gone the routes that I have, you know, it's really taught me to sort of be more accepting, more open, um, you know, more willing to sort of see all different sides of things, you know, not just take the easy way out sometimes, you know, and being okay with, you know, being challenged, you know, being okay and humbled and showing humility when you're wrong. Um, you know, and that was, you know, something that took me probably until, you know, my early, early to mid thirties to recognize that, that it was important for me to, to be, be okay with being wrong you know, that I didn't have to be right, you know, but at the same time, that was that competitive side of me, like, you know, Hey, I, you know, this is, this is, this is what it is. And, you know, having some really amazing people in my life that sort of helped to steer me in the direction that I've, I've, I've I'm going and where I've been, you know, so there's, there's definitely a number of people, too many to name, um, that have really, uh, took the time to really recognize the value that I bring um, and help me to, you know, continue to guide who Larry Schwartz is, you know, and I'm still a work in progress. So, um, I, God, that's like, it's, it's just interesting because as I'm talking, I'm just hearing myself kind of more rambling on, but at the same time, it's like, I, I really think at the core value of, of who I am, it's, you know, it's a you know, caring, loving individual who, you know, really likes to, to be challenged, to learn, you know, and I don't want to necessarily be around the same. I don't want to be around like-minded people all the time. Yeah. You know, what I'm it's really picking out of that is what makes you, you is you like things that challenge and make you grow. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say that's probably to put it in a nutshell. Yeah. Yeah. That's spot on. I love that. Um, which brings me to the next question that I think is a perfect finisher before we kind of go into talking about our experiences and more specific questions about teaching and the sorts. What do you believe is your purpose as an educator and as a human? Oof. Wow. I know. I know. <laughs> I like to start take... off with some tough ones. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad you started with the, uh, the cats and dogs and coffee and tea question first to kind of just prime me. <laughs> You got to prep people sometimes. I mean, it's... yeah. <laughs> um, wow. So my purpose as an educator and human being, you know, I think you and I were kind of, kind of shooting the breeze prior to getting going. Mm -hmm. And I mentioned Simon Sinek, you know, and his work with start with why his original book. And, um, you know, and that really hit me when I read that book. What was it about? God, I think eight years ago now, something like that seven years ago, eight years ago, um, you know, I was doing a, uh, a professional conference with a colleague of mine and we were presenting to a bunch of higher education um, administrators. So this is at the graduate level. And so um, we were doing a lot of research and I did some research on Ponce and Kuzner, Kuzner's work and the leadership challenge. And I also really kind of fell in love with Simon Sinek's work. And that really, I think struck a chord with me because it made me realize and recognize sort of why 
I'm doing what I'm doing. And I think that why is my ultimate purpose, you know, as an educator. And as I think I was, uh, you know, chatting with you earlier, it's like, that's what gets me up in the morning. It's like, what, why am I getting up in the morning to, to teach a bunch of middle school students who could probably, you know, care or not care what I'm doing or if I'm even showing up. It's like, that's not why I got into education. You know, I got into education to try to make a difference. And that difference is starts with me. It starts with who I am as an individual. And absolutely. If I, and if I'm not showing up every single day as an educator, if I'm not showing up every single day as a father, I'm not showing up every single day as a partner um, as a, or as a colleague, as a friend, you know, it's, you know, yeah, we all have challenges that we're going to be faced, but ultimately it's having that moment. And I think, you know, I think the, the best coin would be to, to call it, you know, this, this kind of social emotional intelligence, you know, recognizing, you know, what our triggers are, you know, recognize, you know, what or who might set those triggers off and recognizing and being okay with like, okay, I need to take a step back kind of do some reflection, you know, do I need to apologize, which I do that constantly with my students, you know, and so that really challenges, continues to challenge me as an educator. And that really challenges my why, you know, if, if I'm just out there as a, as a dictator student or a teacher, you know, like this is my way. And if you don't like it, then you can leave or change it to a different teacher. It's, it's ultimately, that's that purpose, that why that's sort of, you know, what can I do? What is it about my student, you know, become becoming more student centric in the way I'm teaching because every student has a story. And with that story comes a challenging moment for me as an educator to say, okay, you know, what can I do to really engage the student? You know, they may not get it right now, tomorrow, next week, six months from now, but something's going to turn on for them as a, as a, as a, as a student, as a person, ultimately, that I think they may or may not recognize where that came from. They may not, I'm not looking for them to come back and say, you know, Mr. Schwartz, you made a huge difference in my life. You know, that's not why I'm in education. You know, that's not why I'm doing what I'm doing. I'm doing it because I'm just trying to help to plant those little seeds, you know, and those little seeds of helping our students really engage in the process of life and engage through as you and I were talking about sort of ultimately physical literacy and that is sort of how you're moving and navigating through life you know and mm -hmm. it's not just physical education it's not just physical activity it's the literacy component and that's the why that makes me and my purpose as an educator as a person because I try to live and breathe that as well you know so I think yeah, I think that's kind of a, in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely, it's ringing a lot of similarities of what makes you, you is figuring out challenges to make people grow, to have a better understanding of how to connect with others in the world. Like it's a very human centric, student centric perspective. And I, I agree with that. That's, that's a huge component that it's not necessarily your content it's like you're teaching people to be a human and that's that's the yeah. beautiful part i think about physical education is it's very human and that's a lot of times something that gets overlooked and forgotten mm. i think that's yeah, where I, we're moving back towards where it seems yeah i would i agree with you and i think you had mentioned i can't remember the exact expression you used but you're right it's you know we're really physical educators are teaching 
students to be humans navigating you know human existence navigating sort of life and you know doing it in a way that's not just so abrupt so just in your face it's it's more you know the the delicacy or the delicate intricate pieces of of working with people you wouldn't normally work with you know being challenged with an attitude of belief or value that doesn't match your own you know and i think I'm a huge proponent of, you know, focusing on the the SEL components of of standards because like you said it's really about dealing with people and you know the standards will ultimately come when students feel more and more comfortable with the environment that they're learning, you know, in in which they're learning. And so um I I really try to create an environment where you know there's kids have a lot of uh freedom and autonomy in, you know, sort of navigating sort of the space that are in because every class is different. It's a different group of kids. It's a different chemistry. It's a different culture that's being created, you know, and, um, and, and students that, you know, and I'm sure you've experienced that. I know you going from the high school down to the elementary. I mean, you see that firsthand. I mean, I'm dealing with middle school kids where they're in potentially at the peak of their, some of them are at the peak of their, you know, their, uh, you know, puberty for some of them mm-hmm. or just starting puberty for that matter. And, you know, and really, uh, and that's a huge piece, both, you know, personally, physio- physiologically, you know, systemically that these kids are dealing with and identity wise, you're just trying to fit in and try to find a space and see how they, you know, what their purpose is, mm-hmm. you know, why do they exist? You know, why are they doing what they're doing? And um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of neat to, you know, that's where I feel middle school is such a, a delicate time for these kids, for our students. And, you know, and I commend you for where you're working too, you know, in the, you know, suburban areas where, you know, we definitely see differences. And, and I'm sure in our classes, mm-hmm. um, the struggles, you know, again, um, I had a really great conversation with, um, uh, with an old friend of mine who we ended up playing golf in a, in a, in a, fundraising tournament and uh he was a couple of years older than me and he's now i think he's somehow uh, i'm not sure exactly what his role is for one of our um, native american tribes our indian tribes locally um and he he and i were just having this conversation about just his struggles as a as a as a native working with younger natives and the struggles that he's seeing you know that he's been successful He's gone on to college to get, you know, a degree. He played basketball, um, you know, and, and, you know, and I, he and I were just sort of back and forth and, you know, recognizing that, you know, and he said this to me was, you know, don't discount your struggles. Your struggles are your struggles, you know, and the struggles that he has are different than the struggles that his current population has. And I just really, really resonated with me because, you know, there's times where, you know, being, you know, for lack of a better term, I'm mean, just a white guy, you know, a German white guy living in America, right? And, you know, it's, I forget that, that, you know, my struggles are my struggles, but I also recognize where my privilege comes in too. And I'm not pushing my privilege on my students either. You know, that mm-hmm. privilege isn't something that just because I can do it doesn't mean you can do it. Doesn't mean you have the resources to do it, but here's a way that we can work together to try to help you to be successful if that's ultimately what you want to do, 
Um, and so, you know, he really, he really kind of opened my eyes to that, you know, that, you know, even him working with a native population being native himself, it's, there's a lot of struggles that he deals with, um, on his end. So, um, Absolutely. yeah, that's, that's definitely like, I've been peeking more into, cause I haven't peeked into it enough, like the concept of white frag, fragility and mm-hmm. like just white privilege and looking at it from the lens of somebody else and having Mm -hmm. that empathy to understand their perspective instead of getting defensive. Right. There are so many people. Well, we'll just, I'll just make it easy. Like there's so many of us white people, including myself at one time that when you get confronted with something, you become very defensive instead of just trying to look at it. And I enjoyed how you, mentioned that you thought of your own privilege and understood that that type of success isn't necessarily the same end goal for that student as it was for yourself. It's about finding like what that success point is. Like it should be student centered because they're completely different. Mm -hmm. Like they grew up in a different time than even what I did. And I'm only 30. Mm. Just having that connection with your students and that really human moment, if that kind of makes sense. Yeah, no, and, and I think you're right. I mean, it's, it's so interesting. I mean, the one thing I try to really engage, especially if I feel myself getting defensive for whatever reason it is, if it's, you know, if it is a topic about, you know, something that might be racially motivated, like, you know, tell me more. You know, I want to understand. I really truly want to understand because, you know, through my own lens, that doesn't mean that I'm blind. That doesn't mean that I'm turned off to you have to offer because what you have to offer is going to help me to become a better human being. Mm -hmm. And that's ultimately what I'm trying to relate to my students is like, look, you may think that you have it all, or you may think that you've got all everything figured out, but you have no idea. It's like that old, I mean, I'm 45, you know, so I, I, I came to, um, you know, to the, the, the formal education setting, um, as in, you know, the teaching for the last four, almost five years now, it's, it's, you know, I've, I've came to it in a different way than I think Mm -hmm. a lot of, a lot of other, you know, teachers, whatever discipline it is. And so, um, you know, I, I recognize through the various lenses that I've seen the world, I've also taken into that and allowed myself to, absorb that, retain it in a way that helps to kind of better define me as a person, you know, to allow myself to be more open because that's Mm -hmm. what I want, you know? Um, You know, I know it's, it's, it is, it's, and so I really appreciate you saying that because it is, it's, it's like I said, it's like every kid has their own story, you know, and, Mm -hmm. you know, with this whole remote learning stuff that's going on, it's, you know, it was really hard. I mean, we got, you know, in, in our district, um, you know, we were, as, as I'm sure many other districts, I mean, we were thrusted into this remote learning. Our students were thrusted into this remote learning. And we had a little bit of time to kind of gather some information, some data, because we thought it was coming down the pipeline, but ultimately it came sooner than we anticipated. And um, just like other, other districts and other school sites, you know, we, I, I, I'm very fortunate, Stephen, to work where I work because I have you know, there's a great set of leaders in our front office who really care about the teachers, you know, that, and we have a set of administrators and, you know, uh, classified staff that, 
help us facilitate a lot of stuff that we couldn't do on our own. And the team of teachers that we have, you know, we've really hit the ground running in such a way where we recognize that it's really, you know, grading is a, is a privilege. That's a privilege, you know, to be giving grades, you know, it's a real privilege to, to, for some students, you know, that have all the resources necessary to be successful, whether they're at school or at home remote, you know, learning remotely. But then there's some students, I mean, I had, I'll give you one example here. I had a student who, you know, I think emailed me, a female student emailed me, I think within the first week of his remote learning and saying, you know, Mr. Schwartz, I'm really sorry. Um, you know, the, you know, uh, the apartment right next to us burnt down and our, our place was affected, you know, we have to move, you know, so, you know, I'm really sorry if I don't turn in any work. And, you know, my response was like, I'm not concerned about the work. I'm concerned about your safety and well-being of you and your Mm -hmm. family. And that's first and foremost, you know, if you decide you're able to get to the work, then we'll get to the work, but take care of yourself, take care of your family. Mm -hmm. And I get a, I get an email back like three, four weeks later. Oh, Mr. Schwartz, I, I was able to get the work. Here's a picture of my journal, you know, and it's like, it's almost like you get like caught up in that. You know, there's like an emotional component there where you're like, holy crap. Yep. You know, this is a eighth grade student dealing with adversity, you know, personally with her family, you know, and then having to deal with trying to be safe and healthy on top of that with what's going on. And it's like, holy sh- wow. You know, and it's like, that's one example. It's like, this is a student who clearly had limited access during a time where in all, all other circumstances, she would have been fine, but something happened, disrupted, displaced her, mm-hmm. her, her and her family, but then came back around. And this is a, a Hispanic student. So, you know, not only did she have that happen to her and her family, it's like, you know, she's already, you know, disadvantaged in a way. You know, and it's like, you know, I just, again, those, those are the things, those are the kinds of things where you just like, yeah, you know, you're making a difference, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, you're making a difference. Definitely very poignant when you mentioned grading is privilege because there's a lot of tragic situations that are happening right now. And I don't think any teacher right now is, I guess, trying to be like holding kids too accountable sometimes we forget like there was a conversation today during a uh, PD that we had that was in mm-hmm. regards to staff wellness and mm-hmm. they had a piece where you could go on a little bit of a rant I didn't necessarily think that was a wise idea because there's a lot of tense emotions there's a lot of frustrations because mm-hmm. just yesterday we were given data that about 60 percent of our students do not have access to internet and that doesn't oh my include- god that doesn't even include the percentage that do have access to the Xfinity by right. hotspots. And those right. hotspots are only for like an hour and a half. And Ugh. I know that teacher was frustrated because they're going through something probably at home. They've sure. had their own experiences too. Right, right. But I had to stop and just remind everybody. It's like, it's a pandemic. If a kid yeah. is able to do something, it's probably because right now they're in a better position. They have a little bit more privilege than somebody else. And if they get yeah. done amazing right but if that other kid can't get it done that's fine too you just have to try to connect with kids right now 
and the parents yeah. too and the caregivers because this is not normal and right even just trying to place that sense of normalcy on is i, I don't, I don't want to say detrimental but it's just not just not where we're at like you having that perfect response back like that's not what we're focused on we're focused on you yeah that's yeah. that's like very powerful isn't it? and those and kids will be resilient and they're gonna come back and they're gonna bounce yeah. back because they know you're there yeah and if they i mean know it's you're there for them they respect you they're gonna get your stuff done doesn't yeah, matter what and, happened they're gonna get right it. exactly exactly and i think that's been the message from our our school district is sort of like you know look first and foremost we want to make sure that our students and their families are safe and healthy and mm-hmm. You know, yeah, it's important for us to sort of recognize that there's, you know, a standard to which we, you know, have to measure the success or lack of success for some students, you know, and our benchmark, our sort of our standard right now is, you know, what our students received their third quarter, Mm -hmm. you know, that's sort of a measurement for us is like, are they doing the same or above what they were doing third quarter? You know, that's our measurement tool right now. And so, you know, we just, yeah, so we used, uh, you know, a progress report grading system where it was a pass, fail, or incomplete. And, you know, we were, you know, required to, you know, make these, make some responses as well. You know, we had to put Mm -hmm. comments into our our progress reports and, um, you know, and there were about five options that we, from a participation standpoint, we, you know, we put in and then we could put in a couple of different comments as we wanted to. And I really wanted to engage you know, my students and their parents and guardians to sort of recognize that, you know, hey, your students, you know, could be participating more, you know, kind of, you know, they're missing some work, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, here's an estimated grade, you know, so that was what it was used was an estimated grade. So we didn't give them grades per se. And so, you know, some of the responses I received were, you know, pretty positive, like, you know, thank you so much. I realized that I wasn't, you know, doing this as often as I could. And, you know, you know, we, so it's, it's, it is, it's just the connecting with the students. And, you know, that was more for me as a, as a, as an educator is to say, okay, so hopefully this is a little bit of a wake up call for those students who do have the resources who are choosing not to engage for, again, whatever those reasons, excuse me, whatever those reasons are, because, um, you know, it may not be necessarily because they don't have access to internet. Mm-hmm. You know, our school district has decided, like, look, we're going to put a, a school bus with a Wi-Fi capability, basically a mobile Wi-Fi, in an area to allow students and their families to use Wi-Fi if we have to. And we identified numerous pockets of our community where students and um, and families didn't have access to Wi-Fi, mm-hmm. you know. And so that was one of the, you know, the things that I, again, one of the things I love, it's, it's not even so much about the work. It's just trying to give them as much of a chance to be successful as we can, if that makes sense. It does. It's, I've been trying to figure out like, what's, what direction are we going to go after this? If we are now as hopefully I'm hoping that people realize how big of a difference there is between the haves and have nots. Mm-hmm. So like when you're mentioning Wi-Fi and then just my school, my example of my school within the school mm-hmm. district of Philadelphia, when we found out roughly 60% of the kids don't have access, like that's, that's insane. We're in the 21st yeah. century pushing technology. 
we're in a major U.S. city that's the home of Comcast. Oh, good gosh. And we still can't even get kids internet. And we're not going to be able to give them internet hotspots to give to the to like the households probably for another few weeks. So at that point, it's mm. it's summer. It's yeah. like we're almost in summer break. This is right. It's very frustrating for all parties involved. It's definitely right. very emotional and yeah. There's this is sort of pretty much in layman's like this is actually a very traumatic experience for many people. And just yeah. how much that's traumatic or like how that trauma is going to impact people is going to vary. Yes. I'm just interested. Of course. What's the fall going to look like? Right. Yeah, no, and you bring up a really good point. I mean, it's, it's you know, we can put all these infrastructures in place, you know, technology, you know, other resources, but ultimately it's, it's the post-traumatic component that's going to be the real kind of litmus, lit, litmus test for, for all of us. It's sort of like, you know, what's going to happen? I mean, again, I mean, we as a community in Mendocino County, I mean, we, three years ago, had the fires in Redwood Valley, right? Mm-hmm. And so that, you know, that closed down our schools for a good week because of what was going on to kind of containment of that. And, um, you know, the families and, you know, the, you know, what the aftermath of that brought in that small community out in Redwood Valley. And I, that was the first location that I started teaching was out at the Eagle Peak School, mm-hmm. you know, which is in Redwood Valley, which is literally you know, a couple of miles from where, you know, the origin of the fire up over the hill from Potter Valley, you know, and it's, and, and then, uh, you know, not even a year later, we have the other fire that, you know, kind of that happened. And then again, we had it again in the, you know, in the fall, we had the fires in Sonoma County that affected, you know, the power outages for us. Um, so it's, uh, it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy because, you know, that we're still sort of recovering. Mm-hmm. And now to have all of this happen, it's sort of to add insult to injury, you know, and again, as a, you know, as a sports site guy with my background, it's like, you know, it's thinking about that, that teaching, just like coaching, it's a very psychosocial component, mm-hmm. you know, understanding, um, you know, the importance of, of engaging athletes and students on that personal level. And so really trying to really capture that or at least recognize where that fits in. Again, not everybody's going to feel comfortable, you know, with that. Because again, everybody comes with a lot of different baggage, if you will, of talking about stuff. You know, I mean, I, I, I was getting choked up talking about that student, mm-hmm. you know, it was a really it impacted me, so. impacted me because it was like, wow, you know, this is a student who, I connected with in such a way that again, she reached out to all of her other teachers, but it's, it's for her to sort of recognize even through all that, she could have completely blown us all off. And then we could have heard about it all after the fact, but she recognized Mm -hmm. that it was important. So all of us as teachers at our school site have made an impact on the student so that she recognized the importance of at least communicating with us you know, which is a big part of what, you know, we're talking about this, you know, helping our students be human beings. And part of that is, you know, building trust and communicating and, you know, kind of having all these, you know, lifelong learning opportunities that we all want our students to have. And so, um, yeah, so that's, I, I mean, I totally hear what you're saying. It's going to be interesting what happens in the fall. 
um, you know, even for the next couple of years, because we may not really see the true emotional social impact of this for, you know, another year or two, because it's sort of like, it's still so new and raw. Yeah. And, you know, and so it's insane to think, uh, would we have the same response if something similar pops up again? And are we going to be ready to respond to that? Or is this just going to be a situation where, as I feel like the U S as a whole does like that happened, we're good. And just wait until it happens again. And we're not like fixing it. Yeah. Which brings me to my next question, because you definitely like through our conversation, you had very wide experience. Like you haven't had the traditional path. Do you kind of want to like describe a little bit of your journey into teaching? Yeah. Um, you know, I think ultimately, um, when I was in high school, um, like I, I think I mentioned, you know, I was 14 when my dad passed away and, you know, was displaced from where I thought I would be through my high school years, um, in Bremerton, Washington, moving down to back down to California to live with my grandparents and sort of in a community that I was, that I was really comfortable in. And I think, you know, through my, the remainder of the three and a half years of high school, I was pretty numb emotionally. Um, you know, and I had a high school counselor that basically told me that, you know, oh, I'm not going to go to college, you know, so what's the point? Um, and again, that, you know, um, that was something that impacted me. It was like, oh, okay, I guess I'm not. And so, you know, through, you know, after graduating high school, I kind of went out to the real world, if you will, and kind of had a few jobs here and there. And, you know, I was holding down two or three jobs at one point and then trying to go back to school at the local community college. And, you know, and it wasn't until I, I kind of started getting into the running scene and the triathlon scene locally that I met, you know, one of my, um, you know, one of my true friends and mentors who really guided me and said, you know, you would really do well to study sports psychology. You really have kind of a knack for understanding personally what resilience is, understanding how to effectively not just displacing stuff or compartmentalizing stuff, but dealing with things in such a way that, you know, I think it would, it would serve you right to sort of go down that path. And so this was, you know, probably my early twenties and um, and then it was like, I started looking at, you know, what is this locus of control she's talking about? You know, what this, what does this mean? You know, and then I started like, wow, this is really kind of some cool stuff. And long story short, you know, went from uh, Mendocino Community College, transferred to UC Davis and sort of continued on my journey of human development and exercise science. Cause that kind of really was where, you know, ultimately I was like, this is great stuff. I want to learn this. I didn't know at the time that you know, physical education, because at the time, as you probably well know, I mean, it was like PE teachers and counselors were the two things they were laying off left and right, you know, when they're mm-hmm. cutting budgets. And so I didn't want to get caught up in that, go down that path. And I think, you know, I think I, I think innately, I had this sense that I wasn't ready to do that yet anyway, to go down that path and to sort of do that. And so I, um, uh, ultimately sort of dove into sports psychology at UC Davis. And, um, you know, one of my professors at UC Davis became a, a pretty good friend of mine. And, um, and then I was in the exercise science department as well, doing a lot of stuff, participating in a lot of different studies as a, you know, as a researcher and also as a participant. And, you know, I just really found like I had no problem like being a guinea pig 
you know, because it really helped, again, as a growth minded person, it's like, mm -hmm. what am I learning about myself here? And so, um, and then that's when I ultimately went to when I was searching for graduate schools, because I thought, man, this is there's another step after this. And, and I really need to really dive into this content area. Mm -hmm. And so I went to a conference in Philadelphia, a sports psychology conference, and uh, one of a few undergraduates that were searching for grad programs and had the distinct opportunity to kind of my roommate at the time at the conference was like, Hey, you know, why don't you come down? I'm going to be going to this sort of open, open forum for this school. It's like, where Springfield, Illinois, you know, where I didn't know where. And he's like, no, Springfield, Massachusetts. And, mm -hmm. and this was a kid who was, a, uh, you know, I say kid, cause I was, you know, I was easily four or five years older than him. And, um, and he's like, no, Springfield, Massachusetts, birthplace of basketball. Mm -hmm. You know, that's where James Naismith, you know, used the peach basket and, blah, 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 right? Wrote history. And so I went there and started talking with the grad assistant at the time. And one thing led to another. I, you know, this was the fall of 2000. What was this 2003? Okay. Yeah, fall of 2003. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, I kind of was like, okay, I'm going to stay in contact. And, you know, there were a few other schools I was looking at. And um, and I ultimately ended up just biting the bullet and headed out to Massachusetts in January, like, you know, mid to late January, basically it was a beautiful sunny day in Massachusetts. And I think it was like 10 below zero. That and here I am from, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So here I am this, you know, this, this kid who's for all, you know, for what it's, for what it was, it was like basically born and raised in California. You know, I did had no idea I'm wearing jeans and a, you know, and, a, and I, what I thought was a warm jacket. Right. And I had no clue that that wind could pierce right through leave, you know, through a pair of Levi's. And um, so I really hit it off with the, the, the grad assistant and um, the faculty there. And um, so I, I decided I came back and I was like, this is where I'm going to go and filed my, you know, did my application and, um, uh, went through that process was it was accepted and then deferred my admissions for a year after deciding to get married you know um, and then uh, 2005 made the trek out to Massachusetts and you know just really fell in love with you know sports psychology and then also recognizing that Springfield College is also a kind of essentially like the birthplace of physical education as well you know there's so much you know, a lot of students go there to, to become PE teachers. And so mm -hmm. like, that's always kind of been in the, in the, you know, kind of in the back of my mind that PE was sort of a big part of coaching for one. Um, but then also it was like, okay, okay. But then it was like, I was getting into, you know, the clinical side of psychology and, you know, working at a division one uh, school as a, you know, doing mental skills training with different sports. And so I was always surrounded by a lot of sports and physical activity and education and mm -hmm. um and then uh had an opportunity to to stay at uh, massachusetts and ultimately decided to come back for family reasons and um and then i came back moved back to davis um and spent a couple of months there searching for jobs and ultimately ended up working in higher education as a you know as a graduate a graduate counselor at a small private school and going through that process and still being somewhat connected to uh, uh, sports psychology, kind of doing some stuff on the side. And then, um, you know, I ended up being the head uh, cross country coach for the school. 
um, when they went division two. So I was, mm -hmm. I did uh, two seasons as the head coach, the head cross country men's and women's program there. And then ultimately that position that I had, I sort of accelerated through that probably not in the best, best way, just in terms of still having so much more to learn. Um, but I met some really great colleagues along the way and in, in graduate admissions and higher education and, but still being connected and staying in contact with a lot of my colleagues that I had from graduate school and undergraduate school and, and human development and psychology and exercise science. And, um, you know, my position was eventually eliminated at the college. And then I was sort of in this limbo period of like, what am I going to do? You know, um, living in Marin County, which, um, you know, it's, it's a pretty, very affluent area, um, very much like, you know, Hartford, Connecticut or, you know, it's very similar in terms of demographics there, but then realizing that in order for me to be a part of my daughter's life, I had to move two hours north where her mom, um, you know, moved back to. And so I moved back to a small Ukiah where I essentially started my journey and, um, you know, started dabbling in things here and there, trying to redefine myself in this position at, uh, at Eagle Peak Middle School, um, opened up as a P from a, for a PE teacher and, you know, um, I was at the time I was coaching assistant coach at the, at the college teaching and doing various classes teaching there and, um, coaching soccer with, a with an old high school friend of mine who, um, you know, I, I think very highly of. And so I get this opportunity to teach, to go into physical education and thinking, wow, you know, maybe this is it, this is my time. And sure enough, it's been one of those things where I've, I kind of dove in with both feet and said, you know, looking back and I had this conversation with, you know, some younger colleagues of mine and it's like, I, there's no way I could have done this when I was, you know, 24, 25 years old, you know, recognizing that I needed, I was still searching. There was still so much of who I was that it was undefined. And I think, as I mentioned, I mean, it was so much of that because of what, and I, and I don't, I'm not just saying that other high school kids or kids in general don't go mm -hmm. through this, but, you know, losing my father at such a young age, who is a big part of an identity of who I was as a person, mm -hmm. you know, looking up to that individual and, um, that's and a I just, huge life moment, like for anybody to lose a parent is it's very impactful. Like I've seen my parents go through it, like when mm. my grandparents passed. So I could only imagine yeah. that age and, like I've had students that lost parents like around that age. Right. It alters your entire perspective. Like definitely loved how you bounced around and tried so many things and tried to figure out who you were and what you enjoyed and definitely makes sense that route going back to phys ed. Mm. Yeah. You know, and it's, it is, it's sort of, you know, it is definitely a kind of a full circle component. I mean, cause there's still, you know, there's still little projects that I dabble in on the sports psychology side of it. And, you know, the, um, you know, the exercise science part of it. And, um, but ultimately it's, you know, I, I was fortunate to have two strong role models when I moved back with my grandparents and having my aunt and uncle who owned the skating rink to kind of be, you know, just, just great people to sort of give me that structure and foundation to sort of rebuild mm -hmm. my foundation. And, um, but there was still that piece, like I was so like lost, you know, and I, I kind of joke about this with people because my full name is Lawrence Ollie Schwartz III. And it's, if you look at the letters, it's, it spells lost, <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> 
you know, and it's, it's funny, I joke about that personally, but it's like, you know, I was so lost. I really was, you know, because my father was the second and my, my grandfather was this, you know, senior. And so it's like, I, I look at that and don't take it literally, but it was like, yeah, I was so lost for a number of years where I was really trying to strive to find a really that niche of who I was, not just personally, but professionally, mm -hmm. you know, as well, because, you know, it was, I did the, the business side of things and, while I enjoyed and had really great experiences, it's just not for me. It wasn't for me. And I learned a lot. I learned a ton and I met some really phenomenal people along the way. And, you know, without those experiences, it wouldn't be, I wouldn't be the person I am without those experiences. And again, I know that sounds so, so cliche, but it's like recognizing and giving, you know, credit to anybody that's, you know, that has crossed paths with me along the way. There's always something that I've learned from someone along the way. Absolutely. That's one of the biggest parts about, for me, phys ed and that human mm -hmm. piece is we're always interacting, always learning from each other. And it's one of those classes that when it's structured right, that's exactly how it is. Everybody's teaching mm -hmm. somebody. Right. Um, let's see. This is actually a perfect time for us to stop. And then we're going to start with a part B podcast. So stay tuned for that. And until next time, peace and love.